Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to the MC Lars Podcast. This is episode 54. It is September 9th, 2019. And this week we've got Kyle Stevens, a.k.a. Kirby Crackle, nerd rock musician extraordinaire, super talented guy, great songwriter, great performer, great singer, just everything. Kyle Stevens inspired me to start my Patreon. So many of you who follow both of our Patreons will see mine is heavily modeled on his. So we talk about this. We talk about being flexible as the industry changes and not pandering to fans. And what I like about Kyle, I get into this, is that his songs stand alone as great songs. Like sometimes I think there's a propensity for nerd music that references things to become reference salad. If you have a song that stands on its own, where even if you don't know what the subject matter is, it's still very interesting. So this is a good podcast. Thank you for talking to me, Kyle. Be sure to check him out. He plays in Northwest a lot. He tours. He plays cons. Great musician. Great dude. And we speculate on some future collaborative projects that he and I are going to do. So this week's episode is brought to you by the following Patreon Larshans. Shout out to the new ones, Ray W., Jamie Ronstant, and Ben Shelton. Thank you for your support. Thank you for signing up recently. Shout out to some of the old ones, Brett, Jesse, and John. It's something that I appreciate. Patreon allows me to keep doing this. I appreciate your support and kindness and everything. And uh, so if you sign up, you get to... Get two songs a month, and then you get to call the special number if you want to be on the podcast, and I'll give you a shout-out, send you a t-shirt, and play your message. So that we'll get to that at the end of the episode. I'm going on tour. I typically go on tour in the fall and the spring, and this is where I'll be. The tour starts Wednesday in Indiana with Cuckoo Kangaroo and the Aquabats. I'll play Indianapolis on September 11th, then Chicago, Detroit, Buffalo, Charlotte, Richmond, Boston, Asbury Park, and then Brooklyn. And then I fly to California, October 4th. I go on toward Oakley Doakley, San Diego, Costa Mesa, San Francisco, Bellingham, Portland, Seattle, Denver. And then my next show, my final show of the year is New Year's Eve in Monterey. I might have an international show late September, but that's coming together somewhere I've never played. I can't announce it, but I can't announce who it's with or everything, but it's going to be super cool. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, here's my interview with Kirby Crackle. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with Kyle Stevens, legendary nerd rock artist from Washington State. And let's get to the bottom. Kyle, are you Kirby Crackle or that's your band? Like, what's what's the story with that? Yeah, so Kirby Crackle started in 2009, and my then business partner, uh, Jim Demonakos, and I were Kirby Crackle as a, as a project. And then um, when he left to pursue other interests with... Uh, Emerald City and Reed Pop and stuff like that, um, I became Kirby Crackle. I was birthed anew. Do people call you Kirby at shows ever? They do. They do all the time. And I like one day I'm going to make a t-shirt that says my name's not Kirby, and that's going <laughs> to sell more t-shirts than I've ever sold, which is like five. So it's going to be fine. <laughs> you could have the Kirby logo and then like a Ghostbusters, like a ghost. Hey! Yeah, yeah. my name's, my name's not Kirby. So it's like, it's funny though, because I don't, I think about it sometimes. I wonder how people see that. Like, it sounds like a cereal. Like, like, hey, this is Crazy Johnny. This is Curvy Crackly. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so I don't really know. How'd you come up with the name? Uh, my friend Brian Meredith came up with it. So like a, a year before um, it started, basically, 
he said, hey, man, so talk to me about this comic idea you had. And I was talking about, well, I've been dropping like hints into my you know regular quote-unquote rock songs for years, but what if you just did 100% that shit and just made it reference city? And uh, and he said, okay, well, you have to have, call it Kirby Crackle. And I said, what's that? He's like, yo, dummy, that's the name that Jack Kirby's dots are called, so you got to call it that. Oh. And I thought it sounded, it sounded cool, though. It sounded exciting, and it sounded like, you know, like action and sound and everything together like it's a shading technique or yeah i think i, I always call it like a, i explain it as a term of endearment so okay. basically people just called it kirby crackle i don't think that's what he like he didn't have t-shirts that he was hustling at cons so kirby crackle on him. <laughs> so it's a jack kirby reference at, at yeah the it's core. a jack kirby yeah, yeah, and I like Jack Kirby, but one time I got invited to be on like this experts of Jack Kirby uh, panel at a Comic Con. I'm like, dude, I know like five things. That's just my name of my band, so it was funny. What are the five things you know? Can we dive into that? I know he's the man. He did Eternals, and you know all the cool, you know, iconic costumes that he, you know, designed and just created that mer- that universe with Stan Lee, which, as we know, is what it is now. Who's your favorite comic book character? Favorite, favorite. Yeah. Uh, I would say Wolverine, but that's everybody's favorite. Um, I really liked Gambit's outfit for a long, long time. I thought he was super dope and just kind of mysterious. Um, you know, when the image stuff came out, I really liked Grifter. Mm. Uh, I, I actually, you remember Grifter from Wildcats? Mm. He was the guy with, with the red mask. Little, it's kind of, not to get off topic here, but uh, I don't think I've ever talked about this on a podcast, but... My sister and I shared a room at a 400-square-foot house forever until I was, like, 12, right? And I was super into comics. Oh, wow. My parents and I moved, and I got my own room downstairs. And I was like, this is my lair. Like, probably way past the age when I should be thinking that. But, like, I'm going to be a vigilante on these streets, and I made a grifter mask, (laughs) and it was dope. And I've been looking for it forever. It's somewhere in my house. And I made these, like, little, like, Black Widow bracelets using... uh, basically like rocket engines, like home rocket engines. Cause I was, you know, going to go out there and fight crime and shoot these things off my wrist, which I would have like blown off my hand basically. <laughs> so my mom found that she's like, we got to reel this in. I was like, or do we <laughs> <laughs> wait? So what you had like, ex- they were explosive bracelets. Yeah, well, it, it was like this like horrible thing I made where it's like, you know, you go to like the hobby store or whatever in the nineties yeah. and you could buy these, these rockets, these, these like engines that you would light. And it's basically like an M80 that just shoots straight up. Right. So I was, I made this like bracelet, these power bracelets, cause I was going to fight crime on my street. Cause now I had the opportunity to slip out the back door in my room. That was mine. <laughs> Pre nine 11. Pre nine 11. Not the brightest young man, yeah. but you know. What I love about your music, Kyle, is that I find a kinship with it because if you were to play your songs for someone who didn't know the references or someone who wasn't as like versed in the comic or nerd culture, they still are great rock songs and pop songs. But if you know the references, it it makes it has more depth to it. It's kind of like what I do with the lit hop stuff. Like, yeah, yep, yep. The, ho- the hope is like, especially like villain song, for example. Uh-huh. It's a story. But if you know mm-hmm. like everything you're referencing and the tropes and stuff, it has more weight to it. And I think that is something hard to pull off to be like to do nerd music, but not pander like specifically nerdcore. I think this happens a lot. We layer our songs with references. But what's interesting is the emotional realness, the human mm-hmm. things and the timeless things. And I think you touch yeah. on that well with your music. So thanks, brother. I, that's a big compliment coming from you. Thank you. It's like, uh, that's the goal, right? Is to, from the very beginning, it was, can you play these songs for somebody who doesn't know anything about comics? And is it interesting? 
And is it does it exist as a you know for lack of a better description? Can it be a song song? You know, and then if you're into all this stuff, you're like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, and that's the goal. Without being, yeah. you know, as you as you kind of basically said, reference salad. You know, like no one yeah. wants that. Like, that's like exhausting. And then you've got all your songs packed into one song already. It's like, well, now what are you going to talk about? <laughs> but yeah, the yeah. stuff, the the human connection. Like that's the song. I mean, the songs that aren't you know nerd music songs that we all love. Those are songs that connect with an emotion. I mean, and that's the best of comics, I think, too. Like, you know, about the thing, like, just wants to be one of the guys but doesn't belong. You know, Wolverine, what's it like when you live forever and you have to see all your your loves and your family die and that's just part of your life. And so that's what I've tried to kind of dial into and try to make mine. Um, and sometimes I'm better at it than others, but I think at the best version of what I try to do, that's what it achieves. I think you put that super well. That's like a great like guidepost. And there's this balance of, I've always tried to find it being topical and timeless at the same time. Yeah. But, but if you're too, if it's, if it's too like personal, sometimes people don't relate to it. And that's why I love the lit hop stuff because it's like, I can say things about myself that I'm emboldened <laughs> as another character, mm-hmm. you know, that yeah. it's me, but it's, it's awesome. through the lens of Poe or, you know what I mean? So like, that's and that's interesting. You mentioned Wolverine because there is he's literally timeless, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same same thing. I mean, yeah, with yeah. your lit hop, and that's why I think also the stuff that you recently did with Ran, you know, connected with a lot of people and took on a life of its own because it's unique and also it's timeless. I mean, it's with literature that has lasted this long, you know, and it's going to continue to last. And comic books, thanks, man. And comic books are the new. It's the new canon, really, and it's yep. like there are they're the new Greek and Roman gods. Yep, it's the, yep. It's, it's the reincarnation of that. And so your career has spanned how many? You've been doing this for decades, right? I've been doing so. This year we're celebrating ten years of nerd rock with with Kirby cool. Crackle. You know, so since two thousand nine. But uh, so I'm turning forty in October. And, um, but Happy I did birthday. Thank you, brother. And I did, I did music forever before then though. Like I, I got my first guitar when I was 13 and I had a high school band that was pretty much the same people from like 13 to 24. Um, and that was just like, you know, grew up in the Seattle in the nineties. And, and like, I always tell people like the, the combination of when the Seattle grunge scene and everyone leaving Marvel to start the image movement, like those two things were like right prime at the same time in my world. And it was just like the only things I cared about, you know, I cared about Pearl Jam and Youngblood and Spawn and Soundgarden. Like that's, those are the things I cared about more than anything. And, and I think that's like the, you know, the ABCs of you at that young age, you kind of galvanize the things that you're into. I mean, like you and like all of us, right? Like you get into, if we're so lucky to get into music or have mentors to teach us things at that age and showed us that you can do cool things, not just mess around, like that can last your entire life, you know? And I think that's why we're always chasing that feeling. And I noticed you have a Pearl Jam poster on your wall behind you. It's still part of you. I do, right, right there. Right there, right? Yep, yeah, there it's it is. tight. That is. I got a, I got a couple of them. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. So, yeah, man, being in Seattle at that time, or being in, did you grow up in, like, in Seattle or the suburbs of that I did. part of Washington? Yeah, I grew up in North Seattle in an area called Northgate, uh, which now they rebranded and want you to call it Thornton Place, but I'm a Northgate OG for life. Uh, and so basically it's the home of the first mall in America, Northgate Mall, which actually just is getting torn down like this month. Um, but but it's like, like I grew up, you know, I was like 13 and I was reading about the Seattle boom. And I think people who were in their 20s actually going to these shows, the OK Hotel or the Crocodile or the Off Ramp, these iconic places where the bands we were mentioning before kind of took form before they broke out 
and were embraced by the entire world, that age group who was part of it was annoyed by the attention, but like I couldn't get enough of it. Like the stuff yeah. that was in the Seattle Times paper documenting like what is grunge wear. Like I'm sure they hated that stuff, but that was like the only thing that I could connect to <laughs> as a participant. You were in the eye of the storm. Yeah, I was in the eye of the storm, yeah. but I couldn't really, I had to kind of exist on the peripheral with all my little, you know, goober rock buddies who wanted to play loud and didn't care if girls didn't like our songs. We just wanted to like sound like Oasis, you know, that kind of stuff. My mom, she would, you know, she would take me down to like King's Table or, or whatever store existed before Target downtown to get house supplies. And I was living in the world where it's like, you know, Heroes are real, and also my music heroes live in this town with me. And I would be thinking I would see Eddie Vedder at, like, you know, yeah. Costco or something like that. <laughs> right. It was, it was just, like, magical stuff. It was, like, a magical time growing up for me. Well, and we're roughly, like, the same age. And so, like, being yeah. definitely not Generation X, like, whatever you call the in-between generation after that, right? Yeah, yeah. there's, an, there's like, the in-betweeners, and there's a name for us. It's, like, I think it's like in-betweeners or something. If you're, like, 78 to like 83 where you know we're still adaptable to technology but also we remember like channel nine you know what i mean rocking some channel nine <laughs> and we remember a time when um a time before you couldn't just record a song and then put it up for the world to hear oh hell no that, w- that was a sl- that was that didn't really happen until mp3.com and that whole thing yeah which was dial up yeah, it was dial-up. We had to take, yeah. we had to do stuff. Like I remember when layering tracks was something that was accessible to us versus, yeah. you know, the first record my buddies and I did, we were, it was like in 1992 and it was like New Year's Day at some guy's like house in West Seattle and we showed up and he had a jet red mullet and he was wearing Kiss boxer shorts and he opened the door and we're all like these eager like 15 year olds ready to go. You know, he's like, oh God. But we recorded all day at his house and it was just like, Crappy take to crappy take, but we did it and we walked out with this thing that we were so proud of. But then we had to like burn copies for our friends and make cassette tapes, right? Like the Daniel Johnston thing where it's like, this is a special version of my art and each tape has a different little design and you handwrite the labels and it's cool stuff and it's like i see people doing that with usbs now or like i think playlists just on spotify or apple music are like a natural extension of that yeah but you know as you know when you would give a homie like a mixtape or a girl or dude that you liked a mixtape it's like this is something that you put in time to and use some you know colored pencils and some marker and maybe smudged a little bit and had to rewrite it again but that was like gold man well and speaking of how everything's evolved i have you to thank for this and you turned me on to Patreon. We had a talk at the El, El Corazon, and my Patreon is basically, a, I copied how you set yours up. So I just wanted to say that like- It's all good. You inspired me and like, yeah, everyone should follow your Patreon who follows <laughs> mine because I basically, all the tears, even the phrasing, like directly, I could say it's homage to you. So thank you, man. Thanks, brother. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, it's like, I think Patreon's so cool for people like this. You know, it doesn't- you know, when I first started, I was like, okay, this is going to appeal to all my fans. And I don't know what your experience is, but it's like, you know, like 10, 15% maybe of like my fans do it. But those are like the hardcore, you know, Kirby Crackle community people who, you know, want to hear the weird shit, like the stuff that yeah. isn't like appropriate for an album, but I'm about to do a 90s R&B song about yogurt. You know, like you want that, like, you know, you're going to get what you get, baby. Like it's coming out. It's people who are just ride or die. For, Ride or die. For Kyle and Stevens. I'm <laughs> so thankful for that. Because, I mean, it's allowed me to continue. Like, you know, like, you know, you, you got the hustle. We all got the hustle to keep doing this full time and making it happen. And it takes pivoting 
and it takes just being adjustable. And I think Patreon was a huge opportunity for people like us, obviously. It's such a privilege for your job or part of your job to be making art. Like that's such an mm-hmm. such an amazing thing to like be able to be like, I get to write a song today and people want to hear it and it's going to pay some of my bills and like, wow, yep. how lucky is that intersection? How lucky is that? You know what I mean? How lucky is it? Yep. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I, and I have to remind myself about that constantly sometimes when like, I'm like, man, I don't know what to write or I'm just, you know, I've had like three shows in a row and I'm kind of just worn out, but I got to do a song today. And I changed that to like, no, I get to do a song today. Right. This is awesome, you know, and like, you know, try to make something that I would want to be surprised about. I kind of think about it like movie trailers, how when you didn't used to see movie trailers, but all of a sudden you went to something as like, oh, the Rocketeer is coming out next month. It's like, what? Like like that element of entertainment surprise, Mm. I think can still exist in something like Patreon. We're like, you know, not, there's not a hype for a single for like a month ahead of time. You just get this cool thing in your inbox and hopefully you're down with it. So I personally am always searching for things like that. So I try to create stuff that I think people will enjoy in the way that I would want to receive that. And I remember when we first talked about this at El Corazon, you were saying how it's a balance to figure out what what then goes on to Spotify because you have like you get a lot of Spotify plays and you have a lot of fans there so like how do you distinguish between the platforms and do you wait or like how do you make sure Patreon special well I do like a, a five to six month delay on it and really like the stuff that comes out if it comes out is a new recording like it's not the same recording or it's like a big band studio version versus an acoustic version you know oh cool and then and then i'll do every couple of years um like i'm due for another one i'll do a patreon best of this state to this state you know that's kind of like just an agreement i have with with the members when they sign up like if this is cool with you this is what's going to happen it's still special for you but also you know feedback at least i get from fans is this is something that people want to hear and they want other people to hear it as well so okay. if it's something that can get more people into the thing that you love, you know, with some realm of exclusivity still, then I think it kind of works for everybody. It's that proprietary entry point. Yeah. I think that's fair. And I think like if we were speaking of Pearl Jam and that stuff, like when we were kids, if yeah. our favorite artists had something like that, like in and, and a way, it's kind of like the sub pop single of the month club, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's an early model of it that yep, yep. that was something we'd be stoked about as kids. You know? Yeah, totally. And you'd want to share it with people, you know, that kind of thing. But say, I got it first. I got it. Yeah, I got it. I got it first. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and to date, man, I think I've put out like 109 songs on on Patreon. And like, oh, and like, congrats. Thanks, man. And the public's only heard like, you know, maybe 12 or 15 of those, you know. They're not all bangers, but there's some bangers that the public hasn't heard that I'm just going to keep there and, and pull out on tour or something like that, you know? Yeah. Like weird parodies. And it's where I kind of get to be like my true, true self in a lot of ways. I find more and more with music. You're one of the only artists I know. You're, you're actually the only artist I know who's ever opened for Weird Al. I, and I didn't know that until like six months after I did it. People are like, do you know you're the only artist to open for Weird Al? I'm like, well, that can't be true, but I can't. I, I look periodically and I can't find someone else who did. I'm like, that's really weird. You know what I mean? I should have a t-shirt that said that. My name's not Kirby and I've overworked. <laughs> he was really nice, man. It was like an arena in, in Calgary and um, and we opened for him. And I think he usually doesn't have openers because it's such an elaborate situation that he has on stage. But uh, the convention worked something out and it was cool. And and we, were, we had a dressing room in the away team hockey locker room basically yeah. at the Calgary Stampede which looks like it had been clean since like 1976 you know and so then we got led on stage with a light like it was the whole like arena thing that wow. I had never experienced 
but I always wanted to. And my dudes and I were like, we got to soak this up, man, because you don't know when this is coming again. Yeah. So we did all this shit we probably weren't supposed to do, like jumped off stage and ran through the audience. Like the stuff you're not supposed to do as an opener. <laughs> but it was a good time. And then I always tell people at the end, uh, we didn't have any food in our dressing room. But as we passed Weird Al's dressing room, we saw all Weird Al's chicken. And we ate all that Weird Al chicken while his band was playing. Because you knew he was a vegetarian, so he wasn't going to be mad. Yeah, but, yeah, but people had some of that. I was like, who cares? It's going to be good. But it was really fun. And he came out during sound check, and he had his Hawaiian shirt on, and his curly hair had just – he just got out of the shower, so it was still a little like – you know, it wasn't crimped up all the way yet. Yeah. And he was like, hey, he's like, hey guys, I'm Weird Al. He puts his hair behind his ears. We're like, yeah, no one looks like you. Like, you're that dude. Like, you are like the best Weird Al cosplay, if not Albert. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome man. and how was the reaction from his fans i'm sure they loved you guys well some people loved us and then there was like of course the, the front row like with their arms crossed like you know just looking at you like like who is this guy yeah but uh hopefully by the end we won him over yeah um, but the, the coolest thing about his show though and i'm sure it's very different now but he was just getting back on the road again and all his old weird al tv stuff was showing up on the screen behind him and it was all like the biggest celebrities from 1999. So it was like Eminem and Antonio Banderas and like Mila Kunis. So it was like this time capsule visually, but all his songs were the new songs he was getting ready to put out that he was playing. So it was like the fake interviews he did? Yeah, like the, the yeah. fake interviews, but like yeah. the stuff from the late 90s of like stuff where like kids were like, who is that guy? But it was <laughs> right. so funny. I don't know. It was so funny. What year was this? Uh, this was 2013. Oh, wow. Recently. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's cool, man. We've played together uh, at least, what, three three times? Three or four? Three, four times. Yeah, we've been yeah. at the same festivals a couple of times. This is the most you and I have like, ever talked, though. I know. Right? Like, in our, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was looking forward to that. It's always why a band is playing. Played at the merch booth. They're like, hey, good to see you, dude. Or yeah. people are loading cars and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah right. but I've, you know. But, you know, but even though obviously we haven't talked that much, I've always considered you uh, a special dude in this scene because you're just a positive dude, you know, and I really appreciate that. And, you know, weirdos got to look out for weirdos. Thanks, Kyle. I feel the same. I remember when I met you, I was like, oh, this guy's this is a nice guy. He's talented and he's like he's a sweet person. So I feel the same way. And that's why it's cool that you we're down to be on the podcast and uh hell yeah man i'm so glad to be here i always love when we, we get to catch up whenever we come to seattle i'm like oh i hope i hope we can get kyle on the show if he's available <laughs> so, well i'm glad you i'm so happy when you guys asked me man yeah last time we had a lot of fun we're, we're we played near the space needle right it was like a we played the vera project yeah which is a long that place is dope it is dope and it, yeah. it used to be in a different spot but it's like you know there was this thing um, I don't think it's around anymore, but the, the teen dance audience, teen dance ordinance, excuse me, which meant you couldn't have shows past a certain time. And basically it was like in the 2000s or late 90s, early 2000s, and it killed like the all ages music scene. So the Veer Project was one of the first clubs to really pick everything back up. And then they teamed up with KXP, which is the local indie radio station. Mm. And now they're just like, you know, the the golden kids of, of the of the scene with as far as, as far as all ages goes. So it's a cool place to play. It's very, the staff was very positive and there's all sorts of like cool zines on the wall. And mm-hmm. the, what I love, I love venues where you have like massive, well-lit merch area. That's like yes. heaven for artists like us. Cause we have so much swag. We need to display yep. it all. It's like a comic book store, you know? Yeah. It's like, Hey, could you uh, sell this out of the third sink to the right in the men's bathroom? Would that be okay with you? Could you, could you <laughs> put your crumbs. poster on the paper towel holder, please? <laughs> it's like, it's nice when, a, it's nice when a venue respects that. And um, and yeah, another cool venue we played was El Corazon, but we played the smaller room. 
I think did. What was it? What's this? Do you know what that room's called? That's called the Fun House, which used to be a different venue, but they all teamed up. So okay, that whole El Corazon is like big for like metal bands and and bands like Guar and bands like what's that rap band that dresses up like McDonald's characters? Oh, um, Max Sabbath. Yeah, like yeah. bands like the ICP, you know, vein of stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like I know that, that's your Pearl Jam, as far as I think. ICP is your Pearl Jam, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> unless Pretty I'm much. wrong. Yeah, but uh, but those those kind of touring bands play through there. But actually, this whole thing happened where that whole area is going to get renovated. Uh, Paul Allen, like you know, when he was still with us, he purchased up all this land and Amazon. Everyone's in there. That area used to be like shady as hell. Still a little shady. It was called the Off Ramp, right? That club? it was called the Off Ramp in the yeah. '90s. Yeah, I think that's where Pearl Jam played their first show. Oh as long wow! As on that topic, yeah. Wow. So um, that pole was always there, right? And uh, and so that whole thing is going to get torn down. But the owner of that place worked a deal where when they build, like you know, the seventy-story condo or whatever, he's going to have his venue redone and put in the bottom there. Oh, so, cool! So it's going to be like clean which is gonna be a little nicer but it hopefully they'll still make it look like it does you know because there's something just kind of grimy and cool about it now well and uh yeah maybe better lighting in the merch area i don't know yeah you know <laughs> and ho- hopefully keep the toilets with no doors on the stalls because why not you know it's fine <laughs> is, so are they gonna they're gonna have they raised the building or have they destroyed the or the they haven't yet no yeah. it's gonna be like in the next couple of years and, and wow. stuff like that but uh, but it should be cool i mean it's cool they're gonna put a venue back in there that's so, cool. uh, yeah, that venue's been around for a long time. And, you know, Showbox recently went through the same thing. But mm. the whole campaign of Save the Showbox has been around since the 50s. It's just a massively cool place for touring bands to play. Um, I played there a couple times, and it's just this cool ballroom. And and I think the same thing's going to happen there where they're going to keep it. But, yeah, Seattle's going through a big change right now, man. It's kind of like, it's interesting. The, the 90s are, quote, unquote, back, I think. And for a lot of kids who didn't experience it, that fashion, that ah. music's kind of coming back. But, and so with that, it's kind of a raising awareness for a lot of these venues that are, you know, uh, about to get the hatchet. But people know it's from that time and, and we got to keep them around. And that's interesting, man, because there, and there's so much history. I mean, obviously all the grunge stuff, but Seattle goes back like Paul Revere and the Raiders and like mm-hmm. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Garage, Hendrix, right? Wasn't he from Seattle? Kingsman, Hendrix. Yep. Hendrix. Yeah. Buried in Renton. You can go to his grave next that's time cool. you're here. Um, yeah, so Seattle, you know, and there was like a big blues R&B town, like uh, Ray Charles was here, you know, um, uh, escaping my name, no, the guy, uh, Quincy Jones. Oh, like, wow. Like he was a scenester here. So all those dudes started here. And then Seattle, you know, got really punk. And then the whole kind of like, quote unquote, grunge thing happened. And now it's just everything. Like everything is here. It's And it's like Liverpool being a port city, right? Yep. All yep, the culture yep. comes in there. But being a port city, that's not like. San Francisco or, or like kind of it's a little out of the way and that allows things to foster on their own and kind of have its own scene up there which is like yeah. really dope and I think a lot of people think that you know a, a lot of the Seattle songwriters came out here because there's nothing to do around here in the winter when it's just pouring all the time oh, like, they, you yeah. know people like you know dudes and chicks just learn how to play guitar and write songs and then you come out with your albums like in the spring you know yeah. so it's like birthing <laughs> the albums in the spring yeah, yeah. um do you know that strip Buddy Bradley? I don't. What is that? It was in a comic book called Hate, which was like an underground indie comic book. Okay. But he's, he manages a band and it's this guy's life. He comes from Jersey and it's his life living in Seattle while it becomes this like central point of underground culture. But it's interesting because oh, cool. he, he started the comic before all that happened and it's like how the character responds to it. But it's re- I really recommend it. It's cool. Okay. He's, he's very crumb inspired and it's little like it's- 
kind of adult in some ways, but it's well drawn and it's funny. And I think he like he 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 talks about how this character is more of a fan of like the R and B and the rock stuff. He's but he ends up yeah. managing this grunge band because it's he makes money. Yeah, it's yep. cool. It's a cool comic. Cool. I would love that, man. Yeah, I'm always looking for stuff that is. I mean, obviously, superhero comics will be my jam forever. But you know, stuff like you know, Southern Bastards or that 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 book that was put out. Um, Got a couple of years ago about a football team in the Midwest and the drama going on there. Stuff like that that Image does, I think, is really cool. I had, I don't know that one. What's it called? Yeah, it's called Southern Bastards, I believe. So it's basically about a Midwest football team and kind of like the Midwest kind of mafia that runs this high school football team, and they got to win by all means necessary. And the mm. drama that kind of follows there, and them getting away with murder, and then people sticking up for themselves. But it's just kind of a nice breath of fresh air. It's stuff like The Walking Dead gave us, you know, when that was still around, I think. Like real people in, in a non-traditional situation, right? Correct, with dope art and everything. And I guess that's kind of why Watchmen is so, in a way, so lovable because it's these fallible characters who, correct me if I'm wrong, they don't have superpowers, right? They just fight crime? Or Wa- am I wrong? Watchmen, Watchmen, I think some of them do and some of them don't. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like a boys kind of thing. It's been a while since I read it. So I know there's a lot more people who are Ellen Moore fiends than I am with that. But uh, yeah. But there's some like real fantastical stuff. And then there's more people that are just kind of out of their mind. But they're still doing it too. So people link up and, and, and shenanigans happen. What were the first comic book heroes that were like yeah. human and kind of imperfect? Like what would you say is origin of that? Well, I think it's kind of around that time I was talking about when I started reading at like 11, 12, 13 and, and you know, the dark nineties stuff was coming sure. out. Right. Yeah. yeah. Where it's like, you know, death blow, you know, death blow by Jim Lee. And he's like this Vietnam vet guy who's just tearing everybody up and Punisher and yeah. Punisher war journal was going on. And even like the, you know, the young blood stuff by Rob Liefeld where they're anti-heroes or they're, they're not in a tower. They're working as special ops. I think I was like around that time, kind of yeah. like nineties. And, and I was like, I mean, I'm down. Like I was 13. I'm like, I love all this shit. You yeah. know what I mean? And I, and I would read Superman then and I'd feel like it was kind of corny, but I think, you know, I took a I took a break from comics like for like two years or three years in my teens because I was just so into music and just soaking all that up. And then when I got back into comics, kind of late teens and continued till now, I think I found a place in my heart for Superman and Batman and the traditional mm. guys who are like want to do the right thing. And especially as the world changes, I think there's something really appealing still about the person whose main moral focus is do the right thing. Truth and goodness, it's all relative now, right? I mean, that's yep, the tragedy yep. of where we're at. Um, yeah. Would you say Batman was maybe one of the like because he has some sort of he's not perfect all the time, right? He makes mistakes. Yeah, he makes mistakes, but I yeah. think he has a moral code he tries to stick to, and he strays. I mean, there's all these Elseworld stuff where he's got a gun and all this crazy stuff like that. But the whole thing is like, you know, we don't use guns. Yeah, and and also, you know, never being able to get over like loss and grief. Like I came from a, I think that's why Batman appealed to me because I came from like a, a a family. My parents got separated when I was like five, right? Oh wow! And like my dad wasn't around, so to me, like comics were kind of like my thing, where I found like learned about how, you know dudes could be you know what i mean in a way almost like oh. you know a moral authority to some degree yeah and so i think like for a lot of little people that stuff's very transforming so it's like they were your male role models 
in a lot of ways. Yeah, in a in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like and not so much I think like by dudes you got to go jump in a building and save people, you know. Men uh, you know, and comics more and more and rightfully so and gladly so, it shows men and women. Yeah. Like women saving men, men saving women and people just need to look out for each other. And so I think that's still the best of of what comics can be when it's when it's almost like a service to the reader in a way. The way that they, you know, used X-Men as a metaphor for the civil rights movement, mm. right? And, mm. and the 60s and how cool that was. And I wonder at that time if that's something everyone was aware of while they were reading it or it was only looking back. I mean, it's before my time, but now we talk about it freely. Like, you know, this is what the X-Men should be. I think, man, that's you tapped on something awesome because I think great art can have political messages and have yeah. emotional things you learn about, but it doesn't hit you over the head with a hammer, you know, you, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you look back and that's the whole balance between art and commerce. And I think like talking about how the nineties kind of reshaped our v- vision of comic book characters and what that meant. I, I, yep. th- I think about the whole doomsday death of Superman like arc. Yeah. It was huge. He was huge. And that w- that was really a moment that got me into comic books. So I was like, Oh wow. What the heck is this? You know? That yeah. People can die. That pe- can happen. Even your, even <laughs> Superman won't live forever. And so yeah. what are your memories of that whole movement? I just, a very clear picture popped in my head is my mom dropped me off this place called breezy comics in North Seattle. And I walked in and they had a whole wall with the special bag. That was a tombstone. Yeah. Right. And I bought yeah. one to open and one to keep. And yeah. It's like, Oh shit. Superman's dead. <laughs> oh man. I guess this store is going to have to shut down. Cause I don't know. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I, know. I guess comics are done. Well, that was great. That was great. Marvel realized they had to be edgy and kind of compete with Image and all the indie comics of that era. Yep. I guess. Yeah, right? Marvel Knights came out then. I think it was shortly after that. Was that was that when Casada and um, and other people were doing like Daredevil, uh. Uh, Punisher, Marvel Knights? I think who was it? Was it, it Spider Man, Marvel Knights? But it was like a little darker, a little grimmer, and that's when I got into stuff with Daredevil. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I remember loving Ghost Rider. Yes, Ghost, yes, Ghost Rider was a part of that too. So the Marvel Knights. So okay, so I, I hadn't I hadn't heard that like heard that term before. That was like the new kind of characters from that era, or how would you? Describe well, they were it? round, but it was kind of like it's. I, I kind of put it. I know some dudes listening right now, are like no, no, no. But in my in my yeah. head, please tweet us of, to correct. Yes, us. please tweet us why I'm a jackass. Uh, so <laughs> it was kind of like the the Punisher pre Punisher Max, basically not super violent like that, but it was kind of. I remember it as kind of being a darker, kind of more Hell's Kitchen-y, you know, non-gentrified New York. Right, right. You know, where like bad stuff's going down. Just open your eyes and turn your head and, and there it is. You yeah. know, and like the story arcs with, you know, battling Jack Murdoch and, and Daredevil going through his psychosis, stuff like that. And, and Typhoid Mary and all those cool things that were really dark, but also really simple and, and cool. Yeah, that's and that's comics became... I think they realized that adults were collecting them, so you didn't yeah. have to just appeal to the kids. Like the kids who grew up in the fifties were now adults, right? And or the forties yeah. and Yep. What's the first comic book movie you remember seeing? Mine was Batman, and I remember how just scared I was. It was scary. It kind of freaky, man. Yeah. Yeah. His face falling off and laughing and crying and stuff. Like that is messed up. It's dark. I saw that in summer. Like it was one of those things where it's like, oh, I guess Batman's in the theater. Again, like maybe you saw a trailer the month before. Yeah. Or you knew it was coming out. But at least my memory of that stuff was just like, oh, I guess Batman's here. Let's go see it. Yeah. And it was I thought it was awesome, but I don't think I was like, oh, this is a comic book movie. We finally have a comic book movie. I just remember thinking it was 
awesome. Yeah. And Michael Keaton was cool. And that mock turtleneck was cool. Yeah. And, you know, I think I went and got a mock turtleneck because I thought that was awesome. I was like, you can buy a Batman outfit or find a mock turtleneck at TJ Maxx. I think I'm going to do that. Uh, and, uh, and so I, I remember thinking like the Rocketeer was really cool at that time because that came around the same time. Yeah. Uh, and then even when X-Men came out, I still, I don't think I was really tuned into it of like, oh man, we finally have an X-Men movie. I didn't really feel like the jonesing for these movies until like the MCU started popping off. Right? Okay. Yeah. And so, and I look back, I'm like, I wonder why that was. I think it's just because I viewed it as like, a, well, this isn't ever going to happen again. Like there's a Batman movie and then there's an X-Men movie. And why would those things ever be connected or yeah. build a world that is built now? But it's genius that they did that, obviously. What's your favorite in the MCU? You know, I'm always surprised by my answer. It's Doctor Strange. Okay. That's a great one. And I'm not like a huge Doctor Strange fan, but I just love the metaphysical stuff going on in there. And I love that. I love the way they did the sparks with the hands and just the trippiness of it. I feel it was just like a breath of fresh air and like came at right the right time. The visuals are awesome. Visuals are nuts. And I'm big into like, you know, I'm big into energy work and meditation and stuff. Uh. So to me, when he, when he turned, you know, he turned to the chosen one. He goes, how do I get there where you are here now? Like, whereas I used to want claws, like now I want that. I'm ah. like, yes, teach me that. Teach me that. Teach me how to do spark hands. That's what I want to do. That's dope, Kyle. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny how we relate to other characters or different parts of like the universes we love as kids as we get older. We're like, yeah. oh, I relate to that guy. I relate to that woman more. Yep, 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 totally. Yeah, what's your favorite? My favorite is probably First Avenger. First Avenger? That is awesome. The 40s take and everything. Yeah, because it's like, yeah. I love when the comics reflect history and yes. the history informs the comics, and but it adds something new and tells us something more about ourselves. And I love the arc yes. Captain America, like not to, you know, I guess we'll talk about it. We might spoil some of it, but like that he has this notion of how America should be, what patriotism uh-huh. is. And then against like the new changing view of that, especially like yep. in winter soldier and stuff. Like I love, yeah. but I love the origin of it. And I love this idea that, he could have theoretically been a real person from history. And yeah. that's cool. I, and I love the whole effects where when he's like the young guy before he gets the serum. Yeah, they it's did awesome. a great job. It, it is awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I'll, I'll take that back. I say Doctor Strange or um, Winter Soldier. Okay. I remember like walking out of Winter Soldier. I'm like, dude, that's not a superhero movie. That's just a dope movie on its own. Like yeah. that's just its own thing. Yeah, and then yeah. of course it's stand out, right? That's a lot of people's favorite, I think, is the Captain America movies. Really? That's yeah, like the more and more I talk to people, like people who aren't even really into superhero movies but love Jason Bourne and stuff like that, they're all about <laughs> the 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 first Avenger and Winter Soldier. I think we're dying for a a reason to love our country again. I know. I'm like, please be real, Captain America. Go tear <laughs> fools up. Do it. <laughs> but what I love is how Chris Evans is on Twitter just schooling people all the time. Like, I don't know if you follow him, but he's always. I don't. I should. Yeah, he's always like. He's like, he's like, you're a disgusting person. Like, you know, tr- tweeting Ch- Cheeto Hitler and stuff. And everyone's like, yes, it's so good that he's real. Captain America's like this. Like, you have, please. It would be horrible if you were the opposite, actually. <laughs> well, you re- you talked about how you left Winter Soldier being like, oh, this isn't just a comic movie. This is like a great movie. And, yeah. And that goes back to what we we're talking about. Like, when you write nerdy songs or write nerdy raps, if they can ex- survive on their own without giving into, like, needing that context to sell it that's like important Mm -hmm. you know it's totally man just even in the past year like i start i mean i've been doing this for 10 years now with kirby crackle of course music longer but but the way that our industry has changed so much in terms of 
you know, in 2009, it was still niche to go to a Comic-Con, right? Like right. I remember New York Comic-Con was the first one I went to, and that's where I debuted the self-titled record. And it was so cool, and I felt like I was part of this emerging thing. And and now it's it's still cool, but it's different. You know, I mean, it's, it's everybody's, which is great. Like, I'm glad it's everybody's. But I'm always still trying to retain, like, what's that little thing that that we can do that is new or what is, I mean, it's the same thing I'm sure you're chasing. Like what is yeah. the new sound I can do? What is a new angle on something I, I can take um, when the movies have already covered so much. And sure. of course, just cause the world loves the MCU movies doesn't mean that they love comic books as much, you know, because of course that would have transferred and, and comic stores would have been rich. Yeah. Unfortunately <laughs> that didn't happen. So that's the struggle that's ongoing. I think for the industry is to connect those two things, you know, like, Reading is cool. Do you love this shit? Well, guess what? Here's like a treasure trove of all this amazingness yeah. that you're going to trip over if you just walk in this door, and basically. you'll be able to mo- appreciate the movies more by reading these yes. anthologies. 100%. 100%. Um, I, I remember the beginning, speaking of Winter Soldier at the beginning when he's, I think it's Winter Soldier, he's writing down things to check out. And one of the things on the list is Nirvana. Band? Question mark. Yeah. It's like making a list of the canon of American culture that Captain America has to catch up on, right? Yeah, man I, out of time. And that, that's cool. I think that's like a cool like symbol for when you first get into a, a genre or a scene or comic books. There's always so much to catch up on. And so like his passion is kind of infectious. And you hope that fans of the culture who go to cons and stuff still have that passion, make that list to see the music side of cons. Like when we play at cons, I always want to think that it's growing, but I also think the music, I don't know. I wonder if you've had this experience, if the music experience at con after parties or at the cons is different than it felt 10 years ago, or, or is it still the same excitement? Like, what do you feel? It's a complex one for me because I'm so close to it, but it's, it really helps me when I talk to people like you, you know, and it's like, it's, it's, um, people who do this, right. The weirdos like us. Right. So I, I feel like people are still discovering what we do. And I feel like that's bizarre in some ways because we've been doing it, all been doing it for so long, right? right? And like putting ourselves out there, but also awesome because someone's like, hey, I just found you and oh man, you got 10 years of music. Like that's a cool (laughs) thing, right? Like it's just like basically like stuff that you already did and it's new to you. So that's great. Um, I feel like maybe in like 2013, 2014 was this kind of pivotal moment where before a lot of the conventions uh, sold on the individual level level to like the bigger conglomerates. There was like a place, I think, to really nurture nerd music as part of the all-encompassing convention experience going forward. Yeah. Not to say that there aren't ones that still try to do that. But I think there was like this thing that was happening where there was getting cool coverage from MTV Geek and a lot of kind of stuff, at least in our situation. I saw stuff with you and, you know, Ran and the double clicks where where conventions could have um, involved us more on an official level, but mm. the and though that didn't happen, and sometimes has been disappointing, the fact that we all just keep grinding ahead, doing our own thing, is also very cool as well. And I think that that shows people, like you know, some years it can be an official Emerald City Comic Con event for Crackle Fest. Yeah. Some years it's on my own. The quality that you get is not representative if there is convention support, right? Because we all want to provide the experience from our fans. So it's almost like everyone's growing in their business as we all are as artists, but we're all still indie, like indie till you die almost. Right, right. We don't need the cosign. Yeah, well, yeah, you don't need a cosign. Yeah, what's your experience with stuff like that? I mean, it's interesting, man, because I I have fond memories of 
Comic Con, play like playing the after parties and stuff. I remember seeing you once. You you played before Kevin Smith did his interview. And, yeah, yeah. And you gave me a shout out from the stage. That, that was awesome. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I think that it feels like it's been the music has become more of a side note, and it's the after parties become have become more unofficial. And as this is not a bad thing necessarily, but as mainstream people, the movies and stuff have brought more people into comics. They're not so interested about the niche fan art musical side of it that comes along with it and so what does that mean we have to double down on like the unofficial events and if we get asked to play like an after party make it big and not yeah. let it worry us i like your approach you just become twice as indie and twice as passionate and the fans are there and but you know 10 years ago i remember comic-con san diego we were handing out flyers for the nerdcore after party correct i can't imagine doing that now printing a thousand flyers and handing them out those will all end up on the floor you know I, I agree. And it's like, you know, I, I wonder as, as people are listening to this, as the listener, I, I would hope it doesn't sound like we're bitching because it's not. I think we're just acknowledging a truth. A shift that, in culture. That has changed. A shift in culture that maybe we haven't talked about publicly because it's just, why would you, right, yeah, in, a, yeah. in a way. But but I, I agree. Like, you know, when we did, you know, like 2009, 2012, it did Comic-Con after parties, right? And around yeah. 2012, it was very clear to me when a you know at San Diego Comic-Con there was a bar who wanted to charge us $4500 for an hour set at their bar that they probably couldn't get people to want to book other than that i was like okay there's something going on here you know yeah. in, in a way that that is not uh as taking advantage i guess i should say and again it's not the scene in every convention at all yeah. but i i agree where is your time and your effort and your ability to connect with fans best spent and i don't think it's handing out 2000 bills in the middle of Comic-Con where, you know, in the early stages of Kirby Crackle, there'd be maybe three after parties, but now there's like 50 after parties. Sure. Right. So I almost think it's cooler to go back outside of Comic-Con and play now in a way. And I don't think I would have ever said that earlier. Yeah. When you're not competing with everything. On the street or like. Well, well, I mean like, like basically like being at Comic-Con is awesome. Yeah. But would you want to put all that advertising money and time and effort into playing during that weekend when you're one of, 200 people doing a party or would you rather do the next weekend when you're one of maybe three things so it's just like a business thing that we all have to think about more and more i think i think that's a really good point and i think like i've heard that the musician element of pax the nerdcore rappers that that, that less and less people go to pax for the music but it's still worth doing but it's like that yeah like i i like playing seattle when there's not a big thing happening that weekend. And I think it's so, such a better experience for fans when they go to a show and there's enough other people there for them to feel comfortable. If you come to a show and it's like not a lot of people and it's an empty bar, it's just weird for everyone. It's still fun. It's weird for everybody. But yeah. it's not it's not as exciting as like picking the right acts to play with and doing it and making it an event. And I think that's, yeah, the whole thing about finding community in the nerd music scene is super, super important. It's like, goes back to that, the punk rock stuff we were talking about, you know, like yeah. a scene, which I hope 20 years from now, 30 years from now, we'll all still be doing this, you know? Dude, I think about that all the time. I yeah. look I look back and sometimes when stuff is, you know, I'm sure at different points in our career, we've all had moments where we're like, man, what is the next step? Is there a next step for this? How does this work? Like yeah. maybe you're burnt out and maybe you just need to step back and then come at it from a different angle. Everyone goes through these ups and downs. I don't think anyone's career is straight up. I know mine hasn't been. Mine is weird little detours and getting back on the yeah, train. Same, going up. Yeah. But, but, I, but I really hope, and I think we will look back at this time and like you said, hopefully still doing it to be like, man, that was really cool shit 
that we all did and are still doing. And look how much that we learned from all of that. And I think the thing that is, uh, I saw this, this hardcore band, I forget what they were called, but on warp tour, they had a, they had a shirt and it was like a guy stage diving. And it said, you count your money. I'll count my friends. I thought that yeah. was like a cool, that's like, really cool. Like the, yeah, the friendships, the experiences, and I'm sure you've had this too there. I bet there are fans you've met over the years who have in a way have become like, your family that you see oh, yeah. all the time. And they're like, your fans become your friends, right? Totally, yeah. man. It's really cool. And especially around here in Seattle. And I have like kind of this community in Calgary. And and then like, I just played Boise. I added that late to my tour. And I had no idea like it was going to be cool at all. I just was coming through. It was like one of my biggest shows of the tour. I'm like, well, this makes no sense. That's dope. But this is Congrats. awesome. You know what I mean? <laughs> Thanks, man. And But it's like people that I've seen online forever who I just kind of think of like family, you know, like stuff. And I'm sure you do this, of course, as well, where it's like people will be uh coming to a show and I'm like, well, I better have a t-shirt that I know is that person's t-shirt because they're going to want one, Aww, you know, like a size yeah. or like, or like stuff like that. Like we got to take care of our peeps. You know what I mean? So it's just like this energy exchange. And I think more and more what we do is almost like a service provider, right? Like I think we're like providing a fun experience and love and interaction. And don't we need that now more than ever? Experience. So, experience. You know, like I used to be, so worried. I mean, in like early days, like MySpace, like what are my MySpace plays? It's Ugh. like now I'm like, who cares? Are people smiling at your show? That's yeah. the biggest thing, right? There's six people there, but they're like freaking out and you're having a good time and they're comfortable and you're comfortable. That is a hundred times more what it's about. Totally. And and being able to have the longevity of doing that versus that yeah. that burst. Like I think we all we've all known bands who've signed to major labels and it's gone well, but it but sometimes if it doesn't sustain, it kind of like messes up the creative element of it. And that's, that sucks. <laughs> totally. totally. And there, and there's still that fantasy. I mean, I think that I have some days like, well, wouldn't it be, you know, wouldn't it be cool to, to do this? Wouldn't it be cool to do a Marvel record that's themed? Like, like basically what I'm doing now, but you know, with the PR backing and, and the industry backing behind it. Yeah. But guess what? Could I, could I write a song out right now and put it out if I was doing that? No. And is that worth it? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's something everyone has to decide, you know, bands that we've known in our 20s who went to sign major labels and then they had such bad experiences, they never kind of played music again or they yeah. kind of petered out because they didn't get to do the stuff that they were made to do. They were kind of in the in the game and there's trade offs everywhere. Right. But you're a father, right? Yeah, I am. So being a dad, how has that changed like your business approach to how you do your touring and everything? It's um, it's made me work smarter. Okay. Which sounds like a cliche because I think every musician who is interviewed or artist who's or independent person who's interviewed says the same thing. And I watched a lot of interviews before I had a kid, and we've talked briefly about this stuff together. Right? Yeah. Like, how does it affect things? And it's made me very clear of my. I learned my energy limit. I should say, okay. like I, I would, I would throw too much stuff on the calendar before. Yeah. And now I'm like, okay, I know I have to record tomorrow, right? And if I go do all this crazy kid stuff all day uh, or and all night, I'm going to be maybe too tired to record tomorrow, do my best work. So I'll plan it out. My wife and I was like, well, I'll take her tonight or, you know, you do it tomorrow, but then you have it the next day or, or family times or however that works. There's yeah. a million different variations. But um, I think, and I, I forget what podcast it was on. It wasn't yours, but you know, Jean Roderick from the Long Winters? No, but have you I, heard of that I, guy? I've heard the but name. It, yeah. Maybe Jonathan Colton. He's part of that kind of John Hodgman, Jonathan Colton crew. Okay. He was interviewed one time and they said, what's it like being a, a musician and a dad? And he says, my job as a dad, being an indie uh, artist, is to keep doing it. 
to mm. show that it can be done. Mm. He goes, because there is very definite, uh, uh, there's definitely a template where you are allowed to quit because the template <laughs> ha- has, has been set up, right? Sure. Because guess what? I'm way more tired now than before when I had a kid. And I can see why people would be like, I just don't want to tour. I'm too tired. But that to me isn't an option. Like I want to do it and my life needs that. Yeah. So, so um, am I as free to just go off for weeks and weeks at a time as I was just flippantly? No. Can I still plan all that stuff and do it? Yes. Cool. So, yeah. So it's, it's working. And, you know, you know, I met my wife when I was just starting Kirby Crackle. So she basically knew about this deal from the very beginning and she knows that it fuels me. Like I'm sure Ash knows, you know, your music, feels you and and I think that people who care about the whole person know that we do what we do and everything else will figure out a way to fit within that yeah that's good man and having had momentum before is a big like if you were yes. to start oh I'm start I'm gonna write my first song now after having a kid in late 30s 40s like that's yeah. harder to transition I think Hundred percent. I think that'd be a, a very, very different thing. Not and impossible, also, but hard. Not not impossible, but a lot harder. Yeah. Like it'd be a lot harder, but yeah. doable. Not impossible. One thing that's fun is I get to kind of see which of my songs are the songs that she dig, or mm. the songs that might might be cool for other people. Because if I'm playing a new song at home and she walks around kind of singing it and stuff like that, I'm like, okay, well, there's something there. There's like some basic connection. Oh. If a little. <laughs> toddler can like sing that melody or whatever like it's the same thing why nursery rhymes are cool right because it's just a simple melody and and i've noticed throughout the years songs of mine that people say their kids have liked are still the same songs that she clues into now wow she's like an a and r she's like a and r oh do i have to pay you okay here's like a yogurt slice oh here's like an apple slice and a gogurt piece <laughs> so cool. it's just kind of fun that's like a, a little a fun side byproduct of being a parent and she, she, you have so much great social media content. Thanks. Yeah, I think Kristen says, I don't know if she's going to like this when you're old, when she's older. I'm like, I think she will because it just shows that we played. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. Like we kind of had fun. Like, but she's like, she's a troll though because I'll be like, who wants to go to daddy's first show? She's like, not me, raising her hand. <laughs> but then she went and she had fun. But like. Yeah. Yeah. How, just how, little... how is she at, the sh- at your shows? Um, the first one, she just kind of looked and kind of like scrunched her face up trying to understand like what's happening. Yeah. Right. And I kind of got that that was going to be the deal. Yeah. And then one was a little too loud. And then a couple months ago, there was one in Spokane, Washington, where she was like, that's my dad. That's my dad. That's my dad the whole time and stuff. And then I was like, yeah, that made me feel another (laughs) level of like, man, I got to perform well for baby girl now, you know? So not all heroes wear capes, but all heroes wear, uh, jean shorts. No. <laughs> well, so wait, how your daughter, is she in kindergarten or how does she, uh, she's three and a half. Oh, okay. So, and yeah. I've heard that when they get into, it gets maybe easier once they're like in grade school, but it's still different. I don't know. It's a little easier all the time, man. Like yeah. she's not, you know, we can't leave her alone or anything, obviously, but you know, she can use a bathroom on her own or she can like get a snack out of the drawer. It's just like these yeah. little turns of the dial are like huge, like yeah, in man. my life currently, you know, like she does this thing now where she's getting into Disney stuff and we're not like, uh, you know, we're not like princesses and rainbows about everything, but you know, this is pop culture and you would enjoy this. It's little mermaid. It's lion King. It's dope. Yeah. And like now basically for the last week, she's like, why did scar go after Mufasa? Why did Simba fall off the thing? Why did Zazu do this? Like I just talk about lion King all day. She wants to know the hows and whys. Yeah, so like I know all, everything about Lion King you can know now. So 
<laughs> for better or for worse. <laughs> Man, that's it. And that's going back to what we were talking about, topical and timeless, right? That like you yeah. can connect with the things. And one day, maybe she'll be asking you in-depth superhero questions. That'd be cool, man. We went to the comic shop for the first time, and she got this like Black Panther, you know, age four and five appropriate comic where there's not really violence, uh, but he's helping someone from the weather or whatever like that. Yeah. And she's like super into it. I'm like, oh man, this is like a vision of like the fun we could start having Aww. together, you know? And like she changes words to songs. And I think she hears me do that a lot, so we call her like the queen of parody now. And <laughs> she's just cool. kind of, you know, it's gonna be interesting to see who she grows up to be. Yeah, that's cool, and being able to connect through music that's like a powerful thing that's that you always will sh- share with her whether she becomes yeah. a musician or not you know yeah yep. she she loves that no root song by alice merton again it kind of like i'm kind of seeing through her lens of like what are the things that are timeless and connective you know it's like heavy ass hooks you know it's it's beats like no one cares how fast you can play guitar they care do you have a vocal line and a guitar line that can stick in your head yeah. You know, like as a listener. So again, get back to service providers. I think we're service providers is is what I'm seeing. What we do is more and more, but that's just me. In my download the song, I'd say music was a product. Now it is a service. That was yeah. 20, 2005. I wrote that, you know? Yeah. So it's funny yeah. how, how it's all, you're very, I agree with you, Kyle. Like it's a service. And as long as our fans feel like contributing and helping us go, I, I imagine we'll keep going. Oh, hell yeah. That's what's so cool about Patreon and just indie music or art in itself. It's like, do you like this shit? Okay, buy this shit, then you will enjoy it. And guess what? Then we can make more of it. Yeah. It's 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 not a complex equation. And I think everyone's figuring out more and more that, you know, it takes the artists that make the world go around. Like, you know, you know, uh, who's that guy? Uh, one of the Koch brothers died. Like it was, in the, it was in the news for a day. No one's like, oh man, that guy died. I'm still bummed about that. No, that guy was a bad dude. <laughs> like you know, when 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 it was Chris, when Chris Cornell from Soundgarden died, yeah, the city like mourned for a month, dude. Like uh. people were, for, I mean, because it's just you know he affected people. So I think, you know, we're here for a blip, and if you can affect people and make shit cool, I think that's what it's about. I agree, man, and I think that's a, that's part of why, like Nirvana is a constant theme on the podcast, and the fact that Kurt, yeah. Kurt's music kind of predicted that, but it that blip was so short, but he made such yeah. such waves. He did, man. Like sometimes you go back and listen to those records. Like these are nuts, and yeah. these are timeless. Yeah, you know, and just like even Dave Grohl's drums are a hook and yeah. a lot of stuff too. People, drummers will sing you those songs after the hundreds and hundreds of songs they've ever rehearsed to. They know those by heart. Just can play them. I got a question for you, Kyle. Why do they call yeah. it the Emerald City? Is it because it's near the ocean? Yeah, everything's kind of green. Yeah, at least that's what I've always thought. Right? It's like everything's green and it's pretty and it's got the evergreen state so oh, okay so it's and it's yeah. like a jewel of the northwest yeah 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 kind of that's the idea <laughs> where where else have you played in washington have you played aberdeen i haven't no that's where kurt grew up right yeah. i haven't played that the big sign that says come as you are when you go there um i played spokane was eastern eastern washington tacoma i played olympia? right at the border of I played Olympia, where Sleater Kenny's from. Yeah. Uh, right at the border in Bellingham and Bow, Washington, Blaine, Washington up there. You know, everything is, it's like three hours to Portland and like two and a half hours to the border. And then, you know, six hours across the state as you're headed east. So, and it's very different state when you get two hours outside of, outside of Seattle or even an hour outside of Seattle. I, I interviewed two weeks ago, I interviewed Beefy. You know that dude? I know that dude. I love yeah. the beefy. He's very, and he was talking about how Eastern Washington has this, has had this movement to kind of like secede 
to be its own state. Like the top, Northern California, they want it. They want to be their own state too. You know, like the yeah. rural parts. Yeah. That's interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Like get your passport to the <laughs> kingdom of Cascadia or whatever. Is that what they want to call it? I, I don't think, I think that's what they wanted to call for a while. And I'm sure there's a movement somewhere of like Vancouver, BC, Seattle, all the way down to Portland and maybe part of California. They wanted that to be Cascadia for a uh, while. Like there's, there's a flag and everything, you know, it's like, it's like the rebel yell. And Yeah. Good luck. There's the, and yeah. California, <laughs> the, Northern California, they want to call it Jefferson, the state of Jefferson. They do. Yeah. Because okay. yeah, it's a whole nother conversation, but um, yeah. Yeah. Beefy got a new record coming out or it came out. Yeah. I'm on it. I'm so I'm excited for him. Track. You're on that one. Okay, yeah. cool. I'm halfway through it. So right on. Yeah. I love Beefy, man. He's prolific and like, you know, and he will tell you he hasn't put stuff out in a while or played that much. But I'll tell you what, I haven't seen more people happy that someone's come back. Yeah. Who right. hasn't been around for a little bit, you know, but now he's back. I told him, I was like, dude, ride this wave, man. I'm happy for him. <laughs> and he's another father who yep. does his music and balances it and feels very enriched yes, by does. his his family. That's cool. Yeah, he's got a lovely daughter and lovely family. We. I want to end with your Black Panther song, It's Good to Be the King. Yeah. Where can people find this? Is this a Patreon exclusive? No, this was one that was put out as a single. Um, I have two like big singles I pushed while I work on my new record. Um, uh, I Love You 3000 was my summer single this year. Oh, yeah. It's Good to Be the King was my single last year. But this song, like for whatever reason, what was going on in the world, it kind of flew under the radar. So a lot of people are rediscovering it. So I'm kind of like getting the word back out there about it again. It's very different for what I do. It's more like kind of like a, a rap, kind of like a pop rap kind of thing. Cool. But I really love the guitar hook. Like I, I love it. It used to be about Dick's Cheeseburgers. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It, it, have you had Dick's Cheeseburgers? Yeah. And I know Sir Mix a lot references them. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the guitar line is like it just sounds like a horn section yeah yeah but it, the, the lyric used to be uh uh like deluxe chew cheeseburgers milkshake and a fry <laughs> you know but i'm like well you gotta know about dicks to dig this so right. we'll make it a black panther song so it's all about being inspired about when black panther came out and and i had reservations at first of like you know some like you know dude some white dude in his 30s doing a black panther song Right. But I talked to a lot of my friends about it, and and they're like, "Man, you just love the character, like I do." And and I think it's a, a celebration that for the first time, other than Blade, there is a a mainstream African American comic book character that is awesome and portrayed positively, and and people love and was embraced. And so it's a celebration of little kids who can look to that and be inspired, just like I was inspired by Gambit and Wolverine, you know, because. You know, now there's people that look like everybody, as there should be. That great shift in representation, right? That's the yeah, word I hear yeah. you say. Yep. That's yep. that's cool. And you have a lot of stuff on Spotify, and it's cool that you get a lot of plays on Spotify. And how often do you try to put stuff out, like on Spotify and elsewhere? I've, I've been putting um, singles out, like maybe quarterly or every four months uh, for the past two years. And that, uh, my last full length. Um, was summer of last year. It was an all-acoustic album. It was a lot of songs I just had sitting around that I wanted to put out. Um, and that was kind of getting back on the wagon after being in Kidland for like a year and a half. Yeah. I was touring a lot and doing a lot of conventions, but I hadn't been in the studio that much just because my energy levels were, you know, as what you could imagine. But uh, still, I got my groove back. And so I'm starting to put out more singles and working on a new big rock full length. But it's very different. The music... I, I want to write now versus Mutate Baby, which is my last full-length rock record. Uh, it's still nerd rock, but I think nerd rock means so many different things now, like nerd rap does. And I yeah. feel it kind of goes back to the 
positivity representation. Where's the world at? Where are we all at 10 years later? Yeah. As fans, right? Right. And, 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 and where does real life and comics meet in a different way than I was thinking about it years ago? So trying to figure that out. That's cool, man. Those are big yeah. themes that like, I think we all are searching for meaning and the truths there and like, yep. How we can connect with all that. And that's, that's cool. I like that you're de- tackling those topics. Thanks, man. And, and also it's like, I find that stuff that I just love lately is weird stuff. Like I have this new song I'm working on called Todd from probiotics. It's about being at like a yogurt convention and meeting this guy who won't like leave you alone. And like, for some reason, like that's the stuff that inspires me. It's just like weird, weird stuff that maybe no one will like, but there'll be like three people will be like, yeah, that's my favorite song. Wait, is that ever. a true story or is it made up? It's, it's a mix of a true story and how maybe I've seemed at comic cons when oh. I was not doing this before yeah. and just basically just, like this guy is like, you know, talking about got a trunk full of yo plays and wants to know if you want to kick it. Like just weird stuff. <laughs> so uh yeah. Sometimes the weird stuff is the best stuff. You know? Yeah. That, yeah. I mean often that's the case. <laughs> it is. Um so okay, so your Patreon is patreon.com slash Kirby Crackle. Yes, sir. Yeah. And and same on the social media, the social media. Correct. Kirby Crackle music pretty much. Uh it's Kirby Crackle on uh Patreon and Twitter, Kirby Crackle Music on YouTube. And um, Facebook, and it's Kirby Crackle Music on tw- uh, Instagram as well. Well, I appreciate you taking time to talk, man. We'll end with this jam. Dude, hell yeah. It's so fun. I know. I would love it. We're going to do a collab someday, man. It's going to happen. And uh, this is to, really I fun. I would, I would love it. I would love to perform with you anytime, anywhere. I'm there. Me too, man. That would be cool. We're a good combo. Combo platter. Well, thank you, Kyle. Everyone check out this jam, and uh, hopefully I'll see you soon. All right. Peace. Thanks, brother. Thanks, bud. Bye. Avenger, 
but only part-time. I do my best work on my own time. Sister in the lab, smartest in the world, set her brother up right nice, so I make it back every time. Knock, 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 that's the world at the door. Want what we got, cause it always wants more. I got my heart shaped up, you hear these heart shaped words. And if you're sitting on the throne, put your claws in the sky. Great song. Thank you. That was Kirby Crackle's Black Panther song. As we explained before we played it, next week we got Ghostbound. Ghostbound is a band from Brooklyn, New York, started by my friend Alec Head, who I grew up with on the Central Coast in California. And he came to New York. He moved here when I was living here right after college. And we hung out a lot. And, you know, I, I love his band. And so we talked about what it was like growing up in California the different subgenres of metal, because Alec is incredibly knowledgeable of all that stuff. And it was a great interview. So be sure to check that out next week. We got right now the MC, MC Lars. Lars Larshan of the, of week. the week. This week we got Mike from San Mateo. He tells the story of how he first heard me in a surprising locale. Check it out. Hey, this is Mike from San Mateo, California. I travel a lot for work and usually end up listening to the crappy audio channel on the airplane while I do work on my laptop. And I remember about 10 years ago, I was on a Virgin America flight and White Kids on Heidi came on. And I'm like, wow, this is totally different than the stuff that usually gets played on an airplane. So when I landed, I had to check out who the artist was and found MC Lars and I've been a fan ever since. Peace, Lars. Hope everything's well. Bye. Thanks, Mike. Much love to you, bro. And he messaged me. Instead of a shirt, he wanted me to give a shirt to the first uh, high school age or younger fan who spent his or her money on a ticket to come see me. So, any kids out there listening who have bought a ticket for any of the upcoming shows, if you come up to me and tell me that you bought your ticket and that you heard Mike's message, you get a free shirt. So, that's very generous of you, Mike. Thank you. He's paying it forward. So, come say what's up. Patreon.com slash MCLars. Please leave a review of the podcast. Please tell a friend. It's fun to see this thing grow. It's fun to do these interviews. And I don't plan on stopping. I plan on keeping going until the wheels fall off. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Peace.